Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 371, recorded August 28th, 2022. And today we're finishing off the Discovery Adventures in the 32nd Century with uh, issues 3 and 4. Indeed. And continuing in the precedent sense in the first two episode, or issues, uh, we've got two more characters being looked at being focused on right but these actually kind of tell a story where the other two were kind of like here's a random shot from their lives you know different well each page was like a different part of grunge's life or something like that where this both of these kind of tell a story i yeah. think i mean i think they all tell us tell one or more stories what was the story in the grunge one it was just that he's well the grunge there. one well they went on the mission uh, you know, on the on the sh- on uh, book or, book ship. Oh yeah, yeah. Where and he, then, cap- he, he he captures or he she captures, captures exactly. She captures the the pirate. Yeah, exactly. I guess so. I try to take the ship. Yeah, I'm still curious on how it knew how to use the controls. <laughs> Me too. That's why I was like, is it a normal cat or is it a, a special alien cat? I still think it's ISIS. <laughs> ISIS. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But today we get to see Lieutenant Commander Detmer, which is cool. Yep. Uh, she's been on the bridge forever of Discovery, and before that, uh, Giorgio's ship. What's it? What's the ship again? Shang Z, Shang whatever. Yeah. Something and then like we get to Shinjo. Shinjo. Okay. And then we get to find out about Linus, not the piano player. Yeah. The uh, the sneezing reptilian alien on the Discovery. Yeah, the Saurian. Yeah, which I didn't know he was Saurian until we read the books. There you go. And we didn't know until we read the books that's that's the Saurian isn't Saurian brandy. It's yeah. amazing. How yeah. many Saurians are it? Does it take to make a Saurian brandy? Ooh. Because in Enterprise, don't they say it's made out of real Saurians or something like that? Ah! I, I didn't. I do not recall in the that. Uh, the the mirror the dark mirror episode. I think they oh okay they might actually be made out of saurians. Well, maybe maybe in that alternate universe, but I'm pretty sure there's a more uh, reasonable <laughs> humane, way. humane yeah. way to make it in the in the good mirror or in the good in universe. The good universe. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So, long story short, I, I enjoyed these books. I enjoyed all four, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, but you wouldn't put them on a, on a top ten list. Nah, I wish it was more of a. I don't know. It, it lets us know a little bit about these four people, right? But uh, I would have liked more, like, I don't know, a cohesive story, point A right. to point B kind of storytelling. Yeah, something and, happening. Where I think the fourth one, the 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 Linus one. Uh-huh. Is the most traditional story-driven one where it's it does have a little bit of flashback of yep. his childhood, but 
not a ton, and it is telling a, a traditional Star Trek story. Yes, I thought. Yes, and whether I, I liked it or not, I'm not saying. But uh, and the one about Detmer is very non-traditional and threw me for a loop when I first began reading it. I was wondering what the heck is going on here. But yeah, when I end, when I first looked at that, I was like, "Oh, Ken's going to hate this one." But uh, <laughs> but you said you actually liked it, so I'm happy. I did. I mean, well, they weren't all drawn like Archie characters or anything, so. But but the artwork was a bit, well. Anyway, we'll talk about it it's car- when we get it's to cartoony. it. It's cartoony. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, but it had a reason. So exactly. All right. So you want to go ahead and tell us about it? I will tell you all about it. Okay. So. Published date is May 2022 for uh, IDW's Star Trek Discovery Adventures in the 23rd Century, issue number three. There's no title uh, that I found, um, so it's issue three. Creative team, writer Mike Johnson, artist Angel Hernandez, colorist J.D. Mettler, letterer Neil Yataki, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assists by Vanessa Rial. Story consultant, Christine Bayer. Two covers. So the first cover is a nice drawing uh, that shows Detmer. Uh, you see the, uh, the left side of her face, like a full-on uh, pic- drawing of her face. She's looking right at the reader, and you see the left side of that. Um, and you can see her implants, her more advanced implants than she got in the 32nd century. And her left eye is completely normal-looking blue. Uh, hmm. I'll have some more comments about that later. And then uh, there's also a picture of her at a console uh, operating um, in her 32nd century gold Starfleet uniform. On the bottom is the Discovery A. And this cover is by Angel Hernandez. The retailer incentive cover whimsically shows Detmer and her younger self riding a mini-Constitution-class Enterprise scooter speeding above the surface of a rocky planet. A multi-tentacled space monster reaches up for her, but it is too slow to catch the speedster Starfleet officer. This covers by Aaron Harvey, and it's heavy on the whimsy. It's, 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 pretty, it, it's a nice, pretty, pretty cover. On an unknown ice planet, Captain Kayla, the Starfleeter, trudges through the snow on a bold new adventure. Her mission to find new life forms hits the jackpot when she comes upon a group of giant space penguins she decides to name Aptenodides Kalar. They seem unimpressed when she tells them their new scientific name. As she records details of the new life form with her trusty tricorder, she theorizes that if there is a penguin analog on this planet, then maybe there's a predator analog too? Right on cue, a giant killer whale analog, with arms and legs though, smashes through the ice and chases after a tasty new morsel named Kayla. As Kayla runs away, she pulls out her trusty phaser, sets it to domesticate, turns, and fires. The killer shark comes down for the kill with its jaws wide open, but then stops and sniffs at Kayla. After a quick sniff, they become fast friends, and Kayla names the killer shark Lulu. 
Lulu runs away sniffing at the air and finds a sleeping human woman in a gold uniform under a thin layer of snow. Kayla wakes her up, and as she rises out of the snow, they take a long, hard look at each other. They realize they are each other. Little Kayla just chalks it up to a rip in the space-time continuum. But adult Kayla recalls that when she was a little girl, she used to fantasize about being in Starfleet and made up all kinds of adventures she would draw out uh, for fun. She concludes little Kayla is a figment of her imagination brought back to the surface due to the difficulties she has with her new implants. Little Kayla objects to her being called a figment of anyone's imagination, just when an alert comes in from the Enterprise. She calls her trusty starship Scooter to pick her up so she can investigate. Adult Kayla insists on joining her in the mini-Enterprise's cramped cockpit. They speed to a spherical anomaly that turns out to be some kind of doorway. At least, that is what little Kayla's tricorder readings indicate. They both enter the sphere and disappear into it. They both appear in Discovery's sickbay, where Dr. Culber is using an instrument to adjust Kayla's smaller new implants. Kayla explains to little Kayla that there is a future when they get hurt real bad. The implants doctors put into her help, but they do not always work correctly. Adult Kayla admits she is scared she will never be herself again. Little Kayla consoles her adult self, telling her that will be an adventure too. Little Kayla embraces her little self and says she needed to remind herself that she is still herself, and little Kayla did that. Little Kayla's triacorder beeps, reminding her that she can't leave Lulu unsupervised on that ice planet. They bid each other a fond farewell. As they both start to fade out of sickbay, little Kayla states that she decided to name the ice planet Detmerica. The story closes with Captain Kayla, the Starfleeter, flying to her next adventure in her new starship scooter, Discovery. The end. Did you like the little scooters? I love the little scooters. <laughs> and when I first saw the cover, I thought I only saw Detmer. But then when I read the book, I went back to the cover and said, oh, yeah. And I kind of zoomed in. It's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a little redhead, too. There's, there's, there's little Kayla. Yeah, I thought they're great. So the little kid size, well, little. Um, I mean, compared to their their real <laughs> size or their their adult size, um, it's it's just big enough that in, in the center of the saucer section, like there's a little cockpit you could climb into, and it's open top, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, really reminds me of those like little cars and stuff you see at the grocery stores for right. the little kids. Put in a quarter or two and. You're yeah. having fun. Yep. Only these so, fly. Well, yeah. Well, to a kid's imagination, those do too. <laughs> okay. There when you're go. in one of those, there flying you go. everywhere. And at the end, she switches over from Constitution Class Enterprise into Discovery. Right. Discovery A. What is the what's what class is the Discovery? 
I thought it was Discovery Class, but I don't know. Okay. I, I don't recall. I, I, but I, I, I think Discovery Class? Mm. Well, regardless. So the one thing I wanted to talk about as far as those scooters go, mm-hmm. uh, or little shuttles, whatever they are, is the Constitution Class Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, to me, it kind of looked like the Kelvin Enterprise. Okay. Um, and then Because of the nacelles. Right, the nacelles. Yeah. And then two... Um, if this was what she kind of fantasized when she was a little girl, mm-hmm. um, does that does that really fit? No. Was was the Enterprise <laughs> that well renowned when she was a little girl that she would fantasize about her little ship being a little Enterprise? Yeah, and it it if you look at the popsicle stick nacelle pylons and some other details, it's the Taws Enterprise. Although I do agree with you, the nacelles look a little J.J. Uh, Abrams-ish. Right. Um, and another comment I have later is, the phaser she's using is a Taz phaser. So I agree, I, th- I think where you're going is, the Constitution class um, was in the future. It hadn't happened yet when she was a little girl. And they didn't have phasers like that when she was a little girl. So, so how does she have those two things? Is that what right. you're saying? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. I agree with you. I mean, us being a reader in the future and and knowing all of this stuff, and even if it was a character like in the Next Generation mm-hmm. or something like that, I could totally see right. them as a kid fantasizing about this kind of ship. But right. with uh, Detmer being where she is in t- in the timeline, mm-hmm. uh, to me, I was like, I don't think the Constitution the, the Constitution ship might have been out. I mean, we don't know how long April was in it, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't think it would have been the 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 most famous ship in Starfleet yet, and and uh, I can't imagine a little girl fantasizing about flying around in that one. <laughs> I mean, it I should it you. should be like the NX zero one or something like that, you know, something that right was very popular, but mm-hmm. before she was born. I agree. But but and my theory is it's fan service. Absolutely, it's completely fan service because uh, even the tricorder, if you look at the tricorder. Uh, that she that little Kayla has, uh, it's it's Taws. Oh it's yeah, Taws tricorder too. Her, her her shoulder and stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and I think the drawing uh, is a great drawing of the Taws phaser. Very cool looking, um, but it's a Taws phaser. So, well, it's not a Taws phaser because oh. uh, they do not have a domesticate uh, ah. setting <laughs> or bedazzle. <laughs> Or an Anov? What's an Anov? A-N-N-O-V? Annoy. Oh, Annoy. That's a Y. Okay, I couldn't yeah. see the full... Okay, that's Annoy. Annoy, bedazzle, yeah, barbecue, and domesticate. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, it was so cute. Yeah, it's cute. Very handy to have such a setting. Right. Especially when a killer shark is chasing after you because it's got legs. Of course it would. Killer whale, not a killer shark. Oh, did oh did I say killer shark? Sorry. Yeah, I meant killer whale. I knew what you meant. Oh, thank you. So I mean, it is impressive that Angel Hernandez can change his art style. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I did go, I was like, well, maybe this is not him, but it is him. So he, yeah. he did both the cartoony stuff and the. The uh, the normal stuff. So. There you go, and that's a good the, point. The guy's got range. There you go. So 
when it starts off, it's, it's very cartoony, kitty look to everything. Um, and then as soon as Detmer is uncovered, um, she is drawn uh, as more of an, an adult, less cartoony character. Right. And then you've got the cartoony, the, the, the more realistic drawing of Detmer inside of the cartoony world of little Kayla. Right. So yeah, he's quite good. That that Angel Hernandez, he he dropped the whole uh, superhero muscular uh, Starfleet people, as you may recall in some of the early comics we read. Right. Angel was well, drawing some pretty beefy Picard and uh, Rikers. Oh, that was Angel too. I I believe that was Angel. Oh wow! If I remember correctly, I think I do. But huh? So I want to talk about Detmer's. Implants. Okay. Okay. So, I guess I never really paid that much attention to her implants. I mean, I, I knew she had cybernetic things in her and stuff, but I guess I never look, looked at the details of it. But um, I went out on the interwebs and I found uh, multiple shots of her um, from first season one. And then uh, into the 23rd century thing. And so I never noticed this, but or maybe I did notice it, but I forgot about it. But definitely in the original first season, uh, her eyes are two different colors. Right. So her cybernetic eye has a very pale blue to it, where her, her natural right eye is much darker. And maybe it's still blue. I, I, I don't know for sure. But uh, definitely two different colors. So they're really hitting you over the head with the idea that she had to have her eye replaced. It, or so it seems. Right. Um, and they didn't have to use a visor. How nice. And then I, I guess the, 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 the external cranial thing that sits on top of her that kind of looks like a, like a pitchfork or a, a tuning fork. <laughs> so it's kind of like a horseshoe on a handle, kind of sort of silvery kind of thing. That's planted on the side of her head. Um, yeah, totally not a Borg implant. <laughs> it reminded me of a Borg implant. Anywho, so, but on top of that, there's, there's these little things that almost look like tattoos or something. So there's like a little, like a black loop above the top uh, fork of the implant. And then the bottom fork of the implant also has like a more elongated tattoo or maybe that's an indication of something underneath her skin uh, I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to be but um, I never noticed it before until, until I saw these these photos and then if you look at her, her at the 32nd century her eyes now match uh, so I guess better tech uh, that they replace things with and then her implants the external implant thing on the side of her head is much is much smaller and does not go as far forward, but she still has an exposed implant. So, right, kind of interesting. They got better tech, although you think in the 32nd century they'd have good enough tech, um, especially with what Geordi had, that they might have been able to do without the external implant. But whatever, hmm. just thought I'd mention it. Yeah, so. no, yeah, it's smaller uh, and cooler looking so in the, the 32nd eye century. Thing, did her eye? become normal looking in season season two or season three no. when they're in the future oh when they're in the future yeah 
Well, yeah, okay. oh, I, I could not tell you that from my memory. Um, because I don't remi- I don't really remember it. I'd have to go back and look at video. But from this still photo where she's in her gold uniform and everything, so obviously it's from that from the later seasons where they're in the in the future. Um, it's pretty clear her eyes are, are both look like they're matching. Oh, that's cool. I so, guess I never realized that her her eyes match now. I just always remember her that with two different eyes. Yeah. Well, she they match now. At least according to this photo I'm looking at. And sure. the implant's a lot smaller. Yeah. Which would make sense. Yeah. That's good. So, anyway, it was interesting seeing the evolution of her implants. Kind of, no, kind of Geordie LaForge-ish. Right. Yep. And Seven of Nine. Anytime I see her, with, <sighs> I, I love the shaved head. I think she looks really cool. I mean, she's a very beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but... With the with the implants the way it is, I always think seven of nine. Well, I think they wanted you to think about maybe they wanted a little bit of a thought of that. Yeah, uh, the original ones, the right. newer ones in the thirty second century. Well, well whatever. Kept, They're in the same too. area. Yeah. So uh, I really don't have anything else about this issue. I mean, <laughs> the I, I love the the cartoony stuff and the penguins and. Mm-hmm. The kid logic about naming stuff. Uh, I thought that was really good. I, I was taken, I was I was taken aback a bit at first, but then I started getting into it. I liked it. I, I think I think they wrote it well. I think it was a well written issue. Right, and it was all just a dream because they were adjusting the inputs. Apparently, yes. It was a little sad when she was hugging her and told her her future. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it 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 was it was a story. I, I liked. I yeah. mean, it, it was an additional story with a you know beginning, end, and middle. But uh, I liked. It. Yeah, good. Me too. I I don't have a huge amount of comments on the next one either. But I don't know about you. But right. Yeah. Same. Okay. All right. Well, then I will finish this off with issue four. Uh, all the writing and art staffs the same. Okay. This came out uh, with a cover date of June twenty twenty two. Two covers. Uh, the first one is by Angel Hernandez, and it shows uh, Linus, his face, and then like uh, superimposed above um, around his chest area is the Discovery, which is ironically enough the original Discovery, not the uh, Discovery A, which is funny because in this book we only see the Discovery A where where uh, in the other books, it was the other way around. They had the Discovery A on the cover, but the insides were all Discovery original, so a little odd. Anyways, uh, the second cover is by Aaron Harvey, and it shows Linus at a museum looking up at a T-Rex skeleton. All right, so the story starts millions of years ago on the planet Saria. And it was spared an asteroid strike, much like the one that Earth had, around the same time. So, because it was spared, the dinosaurs were spared. And they became the dominant life form on the planet. So we flash forward to the 32nd century. Linus, we learn, is a Saurian, which I did not know until we were reading this book. And uh, he's the same crew member that was uh, sneezing on... 
Captain Burnham in one of the random episodes. Anyways, he's in sickbay now, and he's getting kicked out. The doctor tells him that uh, only three of his four hearts are beating in sync. And Linus states for us, the reader, I'm sure Dr. Corrier already knew this, but uh, he basically says that Saryan's hearts uh, sync up during great events or significant life events in their lives and that uh, his fourth one just hasn't uh, fit in with the other three yet, Um, which I find kind of odd because he's been through so much, you know, with all the time travel and the space travel and the battles that uh, you would think that. He would be all synced up by now, but uh, he's not. He does talk about his three previous life events, and that was birth, you know, pretty traumatic. Uh, Then the second one, uh, when his second heart synced up, was when he moved to Earth as a child. The third one synced up when he graduated from the Academy. So later, Linus joins Michael, Riaz, and Adira on an away mission to a barren planet to investigate a signal. While they're there, they find some odd-looking crystals, and while they're scanning them, the crystals project a what looks like a holographic version of the three humans that walk up to the real humans and shock them into unconsciousness. Linus is unaffected, and he orders an emergency beam out for the crew. Once they're on the ship, Dr. Kolber scans them and says that they are all normal, even though we, the viewer, can see that uh, the three humans have, like, blue veins all over their face. Suddenly, a holographic version of Colber appears and knocks the Doctor out, just as the other three were earlier. And pretty soon, everybody in the sick bay is knocked out similarly. Linus rushes to the bridge just to see Saru being knocked out. And then Saru is able to give Linus the con. That's what he says. That's his last words. Then Linus spends days, maybe, trying to figure out why he is the only one not affected. He concludes that it must be because his hearts are beating out of rhythm. He tests this theory out on Dr. Colbert by making the, heart, making the doctor's heart go into arrhythmia which then breaks the spell and wakes the Doctor up. The two of them go about reawakening the rest of the crew the same way. Later, Linus and Colber are giving an update to Michael and Saru. Michael orders quarantine beacons to be placed around the world and states that Linus will be given special commendation. Once he hears the news, he gasps and states that his fourth heart is now in sync with the other three. He is now a real boy. The end. Lovely, Linus. That's great. Cool. So, like all good stories, at the beginning, the protagonist has something they need to achieve. Some detriment they need to change or thing they need to achieve so his thing is to get all four hearts synced up well how lovely and he does it in the end so bravo for linus right so he's got so there's a diagram that kind of shows where the hearts are so he's got them 
to the left and right upper chest and left and right lower chest, like about where your ribs are, the lower ones, it looks like. Right. Huh. That's a lot of redundancy. Uh, yeah, even more than the Klingons have. Mm. So are there real creatures, I mean, on Earth that has four hearts? Seems, like, seems a like a lot. lot. Right? I don't know, just yeah, curious. I don't know. Not that I know of. Yeah. That just seems like a lot. I mean, I don't even think there's any that have two hearts. Is there? Maybe like a worm. I can't think of anything unless maybe something like an amphibian or something or some some lower life form maybe has two. Maybe. Right. I, I don't know. But you're probably right. Not even Not even two. But it's like four seems a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, oh, the Time Lords have two. We're going to have four. I <laughs> will one-up them. So uh, my only complaint about this book, which mm-hmm. I really liked, but mm-hmm. my really only complaint is that, you know, um, he's having this conversation with the Doctor about his four hearts. And then, oh, just coincidentally, that's the thing that we need to know in order to solve the, the big mystery of the issue. Uh, it just seemed a little heavy-handed that uh, that we learn about something and that just happens to be the one thing that we need to solve the, the mystery. Um, I don't know. I, the, I think the, it could have been yeah. done a little better. Yeah, the one thing different about the crewmen that like like Data and Spock uh, and they even did it with Kirk one time there was something different about one crewman that was able to save the day. Right. So this yeah. happens. So so this idea that only one crewman is left to save everybody, uh, whether it be the uh, holographic doctor or the android or uh, Spock or um, even Kirk's pigheadedness uh, and loving the ship so much in his duty that he was able to overcome those flower things that were shooting people in the chest and taking them over, even Spock. Um, so it was actually his his out of sync hearts that allowed him to resist these doppelgangers. Is that it? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, cool. Right. Okay. So, and then my thing is, is that once the doctor's heart was an arrhythmia, so it means that it was beating irregularly, mm-hmm. and he woke up. Oh, right. And right. once he calms back down and it starts going back into a normal pattern, wouldn't he be affected again? I mean, how, how did he? keep from getting overcome again again yeah don't know and again you're thinking too much (laughs) and (laughs) And. i mean so let's just say if you looked and saw your friend being taken down by these weird holographic things Mm -hmm. your heart would start beating really fast would would that not be considered is that a normal heartbeat and then therefore you wouldn't be taken over either I, i don't know just seemed weird. Well, I thought arrhythmia is where you know the the consistency. So not yeah. not the higher Maybe beats, not speed, but, but right. just the the rhythm itself. Right. Is a little yeah. Off. I don't know, but I know that you can't be in arrhythmia for too long before that starts becoming a problem. So yeah, they can't all he, they can't just keep them in a state of arrhythmia forever. Forever. Well, did they need to do that to break the hold, and then they they somehow got rid of the doppelgangers, period? I, I don't remember. 
Yeah, well, it didn't. It was say something it. like that. No, they didn't. They didn't mention it at all. Just yeah. And what was the point anyway of these doppelgangers? I mean, I know the point. I mean, that was the that was the thing to be overcome in the story. Right. But what was the point of that? Did they say? Nope. I mean, and they didn't even do anything. They just like showed up right in front of them, and then zap, they're gone, and the person's down. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I mean, it was just a cool visual, I guess. Right. Well, they had to make up something, so they did. But they didn't do well on it. Because <laughs> it would take too much time to, to properly explain something that sounded feasible. Right. So we're just going to move on. No one have, you watched, have you watched the uh, I Am Groot uh, series on Disney Plus yet? I, I saw the first two shorts. I haven't gotten to the, to, to the rest of them yet. Oh, so have you They're seen cute. the one where he he comes across a the little a, the little society? No, no. There's one where oh. he comes across a little doppelganger of himself, a little a little yes, yeah. So this this really reminds and he blew me him about, out an airlock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like this. You're standing in there, and then suddenly there's a holographic version of yourself, or right. whatever these are made out of. Just right. reminded me of. Or, then, in, then you're going to have a little dance-off. Exactly. But in this one, you don't have a dance-off. Nah, they just zap you. <laughs> that was cute. Yeah, it was cute. But I'm glad they made them shorts. Yeah. Little, no. little, little Bugs Bunny cartoony kind of things or something. As opposed yeah. to trying to make a 30-minute thing. Right, yeah. We blew through them all in one, one sitting. Yeah. They, they were okay. Yeah, yeah they're cute. I mean, they're not going to stick to the wall like the Madagascar penguins, I can tell you. I don't know what that means. The Madagascar penguins. Yeah, the TV show. Oh, well, from the original movie. Stick to the wall, what does that mean? Well, uh, um, okay, so before the TV show, as part of an extra that came with the Madagascar penguins DVD, Uh there was a little short... um, cartoon like a traditional Bugs Bunny thing or whatever and it was uh, Madagascar Penguins Christmas Caper gotcha. and it was like a seven minute long thing or whatever and it was absolute magic it was like oh my god this is the best cartoon I have seen well since Bugs Bunny and I hold Bugs Bunny in high regard <laughs> so it was excellent it was great um, it's, a, it's a little it's wonderful. And if you've never seen it, I, I highly suggest you seek it out. Well, we um, have the DVD. I'll go, I'll go dig it out and go, give it a watch. Uh, I'm sure it's probably on YouTube, too. Yeah, uh, I would imagine, but I don't know. But it was so great. So it, the whole thing takes place during Christmas. And Anyway, you should watch it. Okay. You should watch it, Rico. All right. I thought the idea, I mean, the Saurians have been around a long time, and we know about Saurian brandy. Right. But um, I did not realize how frequently Saurians have popped up in Star Trek, and I didn't even know it. So, in Discovery, in the Turbo Lift, the sneezing, uh, you know, alien reptile guy. No idea he was a, a Saurian. Right. Uh, no idea that his species made. Sorry, and Brandy, however they do it. Um, 
But then it turns out that he's popped up other places, haven't hasn't haven't Saurians, Donnie. Well, we talked about it last week, mm-hmm. and uh, the only one I remember from before we talked last week was um, the uh, motion picture. Indeed. What was the other ones? I don't even remember now. Well, the, I only know of one additional one to that, which is in Lower Decks. Oh, right. Um, the web, um, now, the Gorn, it was a Gorn wedding. What was the story? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. Yeah, so he was um, apparently a Saurian was the first officer on Riker's Titan. Um, yeah, on Riker's right. um, Titan. Titan, exactly. So, and there, you know, if you go if you go and do a search, you can see uh, like a still photo of him in the you know Starfleet uniform and stuff, and three pips and all that kind of stuff. So, right. I had no idea, none. That that was a Saurian. Cool. And to the best of my knowledge, it's those three instances. But oh my gosh, as we both commented, because I think the Saurian, we, 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 we theorized the, the Saurian was only seen like in the background during that, uh, when Kirk called the whole crew together on the hangar bay or something, shuttle hangar bay. Right. Yeah, the shuttle. And so you got tons of people. First time you see that many people, you know, hundreds of people are on a starship. This is the first time you actually see large numbers of people like that. And one of them happens to be a, a Saurian in the background. So he didn't have to have the best makeup. And he didn't. So Right. But he had a, he had a, a Topps uh, card. So everybody who collected those cards got a really good look at it. Oh, really? Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Maybe that's where this photo is from. I found it on the uh, webs. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. But he's got really sickly looking yellow eyes bulging out. Right. <laughs> and then it's just like obviously a rubber mask. <laughs> a Doctor Who alien. Anyway. <laughs> yep. So that's cool. No, I didn't know he was sorry in uh, Linus. I didn't know his name was Linus either. I think she calls him Linus there. Does in she? The, uh, yeah. Okay. So maybe I did know that one. And probably forgot it. Exactly. Am I going to see this guy again? It, it's a cool makeup. It's a cool makeup effect, so they did a good job on yeah, I, I think Yeah, I think Discovery did a good job on the, on the makeup. As opposed to the original movie. Right, right. Yeah, because... Yeah, the original movie, they looked really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My my last comment is um, on all the redundancy, you know, four hearts, whatever. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning where they're showing uh, Saria, it's Saria, right? I think it's Saria. Yeah. Uh, And they're showing this big brontosaur kind of guy chewing away on, uh, on plants and stuff. And... He appears to have one, two, three, four, five. Five? Is it five? Yeah, it's five. Okay, because he's got two nostrils, so I'm not counting that. Yeah. And then, so that's an ear. Is that is that furthest dot an ear? Then Um, depends on the picture you're looking at, but the one that has the side view, he has. It looks like he has five eyes. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. I'm cutting you off. Sorry. 
Oh, I counted five fine. eyes. Okay. Well, so, I, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't sure what the what the last, the furthest back dot was. Anyway, so he's got five. So ten eyes. Ten eyes. So, I, I guess the planet is into redundancy. But he himself, Linus, only has two. Exactly. So mm-hmm. they evolve. I mean, is this creature supposed to be? What evolves into the Saurians, or is this just a creature that happens to be on the planet? I think his narration at the beginning led me to believe that he's a direct descendant of this Brontosaurus kind of guy. That's the way I took it, too. That's the way I took it, but... But then why doesn't he have ten eyes? Good point. Something that was dropped along the evolutionary path, apparently. Right. Right. So I just find it funny that uh, they make a big deal about, oh, the asteroid that destroys the dinosaurs almost hit Soria. You know, it's just like, why why would they have the same event around the same time that almost could have knocked out all their dinosaurs? just seemed weird to bring that even up. That does sound like quite a coincidence. Yeah. Considering how long dinosaurs were around on Earth... Because they were around a long, stinking time. Um, mm-hmm. Probably longer than primates have been around. Um, I mean, there's the whole theory that Doctor Who did, right? Where Earth dinosaurs evolved into uh, intelligent creatures. Yeah, what are they called? Um, Saurian? No. No, not Saurian, but... But there, there is a name, yes. What are they, though? I forgot what they are. But, but they left Earth? Is that it? Or they went underground? No, they were underground. Underground. So they went underground, yeah. and then they came... They, every once in a while, they'd come up and cause trouble. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, uh, Space Above and Beyond did, this, did the same kind of idea, but they left Earth. So they were... They had developed enough intelligence and apparently space travel... Um, that at some point they left Earth. Um, I don't know whether they were trying to say they left Earth, you know, 65 million years ago or wh- whenever the, uh, the, the asteroid hit Earth, but anyway. And, and who was this? This was... Uh, Space Above and Beyond. Oh, okay. A short-lived uh, series in the 80s uh, made by the producers of The X-Files. Mm-hmm. It had one, one season, and it was a very good season. I thoroughly enjoyed that show. Right. Yeah, I just thought it was odd that they they even did this dinosaur evolution thing, and mm-hmm. when we already have, I mean, we already know that the dinosaurs on Earth made it off of Earth and <laughs> evolved in the Delta Quadrant. So <laughs> there you go, Star Trek Two. Also, no. What? Yeah, Star Trek as well. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, what, what were they called? They were called uh, Chevolians or something like that. I don't remember. I don't remember, but yeah, I always found it weird that they. Or no, maybe that maybe that's different people. I don't know, but you know what I'm talking about. There was that Jurassic about. Park episode where, come to find out, dinosaurs made it off Earth before right. humans evolved. Right. So stupid. <laughs> well, when you take a look at the time, geological time periods, um, a lot of stuff could have happened, but you'd think you'd find some <laughs> some fossilized uh, remains that would, you know, 
have yeah. some indication that something like that might have happened. Exactly. You know, yeah. oh, here's here's the landing platform for a, a giant shuttle. Uh, that that's not what I meant. Launched or something. Yeah. <sighs> no, it's just. I meant a, more like a, a big brain case. You know, lizard head or something. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about biological mm-hmm. some evidence like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but when you talk about physical when you talk about physical things um I I know I saw a video at one point that was going into the theoretical uh Joe no or answers with Joe or something like that. There's a video YouTube thing answers with Joe or something like that where he did a whole thing that talked about you know the Doctor Who th- character or characters but just in general could an intelligent species civilization have developed prior to our recorded history? Mm. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're dinosaurs or something, although that was one example. And uh, it was just really interesting. I mean, there's so much that has gone on. I mean, so many millions of years that have, have passed. Um, a lot of things could have happened. Uh, right. that, that aren't necessarily in the that, that we don't know about, or are not necessarily part of the uh, what we what we were taught in school. So what? Yeah. So what is it? Uh, I think we might have talked about this before on a previous podcast, but the idea that that civilization civilization well, I got air quotes going um, where where there's evidence of like um, like farming. And like groups of people that have gotten together, um, doesn't go all that far back in history, um, right? And then if you take a look at like Babylonia or whatever, what Sumerians, well, whatever, some of the earliest civilizations, um, supposedly there have been ruins that have found that have dated far, far further back in time than uh, right. than those civilizations. Anyway, yeah, they're a all, lot of they're things all could have happened. Atlantis that sank, so that's why we don't have a lot of evidence of this. <sighs> right, right. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but there actually is evidence that isn't sunken in it, under underwater. There's actually ruins um, you can go and yeah. see that they've dated to uh, way before when the um, when the Egyptians and before them. Um, right. Anyway. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So many we things could have we happened. Don't know. So many but things. But I don't think space travel is one of those things. Probably not. Although supposedly the, the the things that people make or you know, a lot a lot of the evidence of, of our supposed civilization, given enough time, will be completely lost to uh the continually changing uh uh surface of the earth. Right. Well, well, okay. Yeah. Well, if you go long in, enough. In, in thousands of years, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm talking about like tens of thousands of years. Yeah, right. All evidence will be gone. You may see a lot of pockets of plastics if you de- if you go down okay. deep enough. But Well, yeah, it'll still be... F- and then all the space junk flying around in space. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> anyway. So... Uh, so this is it. Only these four. Yep, that's it. Okay, okay. 
It's all over. So, Donovan, I got to ask the question. Oh, no. We do have we do have Mirror Universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, we got a lot more comic books now. They're, they're really pumping them out now. <sighs> once we got once we got close to the end, they were like, "We're gonna go full force." Okay. Now, so we have Mirror War. We have uh, the starting a new Picard series, a lower deck series. Um, oh, oh. Uh, another uh, ongoing is coming out early next year. So, yep. So our podcast is like Gilligan's Island. It just theoretically keeps going. Right. Okay. It will never end. Cool. Which is good, because I don't ever want it to end. No. I don't, I don't want to live in a world where we don't have uh, Star Trek comic books. Comic books to read, exactly, and comment on. And good gravy, they, they're they really pumping out the shows now. So They are. This is, this is the heyday of, uh, of uh, Star Trek. This is. Paramount has definitely realized that Star Trek is a... Great property for TV, and uh, in the era of streaming, TV has become probably just as important as movies uh, from a money-making standpoint. And oh yeah, if you can actually have a con- almost continuous string of Star Trek TV series that only have ten or thirteen episodes or whatever, but are constantly playing on your service, then true fans like us are unlikely to ever stop paying Paramount. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, which is what they want. So there you go. Yep. No, as long as you give me a weekly Star Trek, I will spend my $7 or whatever it is exactly. to keep your service. There you go. Even if it's just one episode a week. So uh, you Paramount folks, you're finally, you got us. <laughs> just keep doing it. And, and keep making them good. Yeah. Yeah, you need that too. Yeah, don't don't start pumping out a bunch of crap. Yeah. So Strange New Worlds, really good. Yep. Prodigy's really good. I think that that's quite good. Uh, lower Decks and Discovery. I, I, I mm. the only one that I haven't really been all that in love with was Short Treks. I mean, there was a couple of really yeah. good ones, and then there was a, a lot of just like Meh, it was Star Trek. Yeah. And uh, Picard definitely could have been better. Oh yeah, Picard. I really like that. You, you what? I really like I really like the part too. Oh, uh, me too. But it could have been better. Sure. Well, they could all be better. I know, but I some... mean, if you just make it the way I want, it would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I think it would be daunting to take on a new series, uh, t- Star Trek TV series. So many things have been done in the past. It's all been done. Uh, you know, Next Gen was running on fumes by the time it hit the seventh season. Right. Um, exactly. And to 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 do a new series and to have something fresh, that must be really difficult. So, right, and and that's why I kind of like Picard and Discovery to a point where they you know they did kind of exit the uh, you know we're going to be on the bridge all the time mold mm-hmm. and do something a little different. But Discovery's kind of like shoot gone back to what traditional Star Trek is. You know. Yes. So the main character is now Captain. Right. So that's getting in line eventually with traditional template. And they're off adventuring. Yes. 
yeah. trying At to rebuild the Federation. Different time frame, so yep, it's not just rehashing. It, it's a lot like Discovery. They're out on their own. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do have the Federation still, but it's still kind of the Wild West out there. Yeah. Cool. So no, I, I'm liking. I like it all, and you know, and then you have Orville, which is not Star Trek, but. My but goodness, it's dog, so gone. It's close. Yeah, it's so good. But um, it's its own thing, too. Right. That's what I'm saying. So we're at a point now where not only do we have an episode a week of Star Trek itself, but mm-hmm. then we also have these other shows like Orville that are basically Star Trek, just as good as most of what Star Trek has actually given us. And uh, it's, you know, just made by fans, you know, or. I mean, ultimately, well, some he, of them. he was a fan, right? I mean, that was why he made it. Uh, McFarlane. Mm-hmm. McFarlane, Seth. Mm-hmm. So. And then the guy that took over uh, the latest season of Picard was a big Star Trek fan. Um, I think the guy, the head writer, Mike, uh, the guy for Lower Decks, big Star Trek fan. Oh, right. Yeah, no. Um, and he... And he and, he knows the stuff where to stick all the little the little stupidest little reference to Star Trek the animated series in there. <laughs> there that you go. nobody's gonna know, but Right. But you know. He knows. Exactly. We know. There you go. So now it's great. And, you know, as long as they keep coming out with comics, um, maybe someday we'll get that Enterprise comic. <laughs> well who knows? Maybe they'll finish Enterprise. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? That'd be great. There's there's at least some people theorizing about it. Yeah. I think at the very least, you know, at the very least, there's been talk about an anthology series for Star Trek, right. yeah. which a lot of other franchises have done that. And like I mentioned before we started recording, I think The Walking Dead's Tales from The Walking Dead, at least the first episode was really good. Really the kind of thing that could breathe some new life into that franchise. Um if they did a, an anthology Star Trek series, which I would think that all the sets and things would be difficult, you know, expensive to right. do an anthology thing, but still, um, if they did that, wouldn't it be great if they had an episode that uh, that brought the cast of um, Enterprise back to do uh, right. an episode of some kind? I yeah, but with, yeah, but and, and with green screens and stuff, I mean, you wouldn't even have to build out the whole set. I mean, you could totally, I mean, like with that, uh, um, that it's not a projector, the the thing that they use for Star Wars Mandalorian. and stuff now. Yeah. 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 I mean, you could do something like that and build out your bridge and stuff that way. And then basically you're just on a, on a set. Yeah. And, and plus the they could do, off. they could do wonders with redressing existing bridges to be something different. Oh, right. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, that would be a way that, let's say, Bakula can't get... I mean, they're still doing the NCIS in Orleans? No, it got canceled. Oh, it got canceled? Oh, so yeah. he's free now. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, it would be great to see... I think it would be great to see um, uh, Enterprise again. In, right. Even if it was one episode. And, you know, I, I know that uh, George Takei wants to come back as Sulu one more time, so... You, you hate to say that, that you know there's not a lot more chances for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, yep. So. Well, he's up there enough. It's like he'd be an admiral or something. 
or Wouldn't president. He? I think. I think. Well, at one time in canon, mm-hmm. uh, he he became president of the Federation. No way. Really? Yeah. In a novel. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I did not know that. And I think they kind of reference it in um, Voyager, like um, when Chakotay's talking about his past, he talks about uh, President um, Sulu. He, huh. he, that's all he says. So it's like, was it Demora Sulu? Was it Hakora Sulu? Or you don't know. Somebody else named Sulu. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, some of the novels had him as president, and uh, Chekhov was head of uh, uh, Starfleet Security. Oh, boy. On a, well, oh, ju- oh, that's it. Oh, it's just head of Starfleet Security. Yeah, he was oh, head of Starfleet Security. Okay. I don't remember what book that was, but uh, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. Cool. Anyways, we are off in the weeds. Yes, we are. About comics anymore. Exactly. So uh, wrap up? Yep, please. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.